Welcome to the Good Mother, Bad Woman podcast, where we know how to be good mothers, but we might be bad women for different reasons. I'm your host, Stacia Caprice, a happy single mom of three girls. My blended family includes three daughters, three different dads, one divorce under my belt, nine living grandparents, two girlfriends, one bonus mama who's married to one of the dads helping me raise my daughter, and maybe three or four other bonus siblings. The Lord blessed me with a part-time nanny, and all 20 of us get along just fine. To those of us who are mothers, I think we love our kids just fine, but even though our kids are a big part of our lives, they're still only part of it, right? And that part of us that existed before or after kids, that woman inside is demanding to be heard without being labeled depressed, postpartum, or a bad woman just because she didn't disappear with her mommy job or title. I'm not a doctor, coach, or psychologist. I'm just somebody, girl, navigating this life without the owner's manual, just like you. And today we want to talk about and perhaps convince you why loving toxic men is not your fault. Listen, there are some men who love to antagonize the woman of their dreams for falling in love with a sexy, toxic bad boy and getting dumped instead of choosing him because he had a good heart and a stable job. It's like our heartaches are our fault. As if we walked down the street, met a man dressed in a red flag who asks you ahead of time to sign his heartbreak guarantee or bullshit non-refundable contract before you interact with him, right? Like if only crazy, toxic, or abusive men would be so kind as to share their future intentions ahead of time right no most men all men and women show their best representative up front uh you know when you first meet somebody so that being said though it is very interesting to me that we still seem to gravitate towards the same type of man whatever your toxic type is long before the red flags become clear like before you tried to sleep with me on the first date and I said yes you still had me at hello right so what is that all about But the thing is that women have been blamed for years for intentionally loving bad boys or purposely overlooking the less charismatic good guy and therefore deserving of all their broken hearts and bastard children. But part of the reason some women are unconsciously drawn to toxic men is because most of us was raised by one and the rest are our primal mating instincts that just automatically pull us towards the most dominant man in the room. So let's discuss. First, let's talk about um, the definition of a good guy or at least how it is presented to us, right? Because when I was a younger girl, I mean, I was pretty shy, but I got a lot of attention for how I looked. And I remember, you know, family and church members throughout my teen years and my 20s would always admonish me, don't miss out on the good guy by being blinded by the more popular guy. So, of course, you're like, okay, you know, what is the alternative or whatever? And the good guy is always positioned as, you know, he's smarter, kinder, richer, but the downside is he's probably shorter, not as cute, not as strong, or not as fun. And you're like, well, damn, you know, what kind of promo campaign is this? <laughs> and men are so funny and competitive. Like, they feel like if you don't choose them specifically, then, girl, you automatically just chosen a toxic, abusive man with no job. So shame on your future, okay? But, uh, you know, we know that's not true. The definition of toxic is Uh, very subjective and we just kind of throw that word around because it's fully possible that the man you chose was a great guy it just didn't work out for the two of you for whatever incompatible reason but that didn't make him uh, toxic per se and then just between you and me girl I wonder what makes a good guy good anyway right like yes I believe that there is a type of man who is good looking who has transcended the realms of temptation maybe he practices self-control and just lives in this land of sexual 
emotional maturity that he can't easily be removed from. But could it also be, and I'm just talking out loud, that some guys have good hearts because it is easier for them to be good than it is for other men to be good, right? Like it's one thing to be a good guy with a good heart working a regular nine to five versus being a good guy and you got an NFL contract or a thriving medical business or what have you or a banging law firm. You know what I mean? But but you know, if this good guy was getting the same level of energy uh, from gorgeous women from gorgeous women in the world that he put out there, would he still, in fact, be a good guy? He might be. I don't know. But I remember I had a um a Sunday school teacher in college told me, she said, baby, when it comes to temptation, it's easy to pass a test when you ain't having one, okay? I said, mama, you show right, girl. You is show right. Listen. But where do these men from, you know, either side of the fence come from? So the word toxic uh, means harmful or insidious. And insidious can mean kind of proceeding gradually or subtly harmful. So you can be in a relationship with a man that is gradually leading you towards uh, physical or emotional harm and be headed that way without obvious symptoms. Um, even the Bible says that there is a way that feels right to a man, but the end of that way is death. So Yay, you know, small flag. <laughs> our first exposure to male love comes from our fathers, whether he was a good one or not. Um, my parents were married until I was 18. Now they're both married to other people. But even though my dad was physically present in the house, he was emotionally absent, right? And in hindsight, my mother was definitely a married single woman does anybody feel like that now right like you're married but you're still the one doing all the work and raising the kids and there's always kind of that you know nurturing care imbalance for women anyway but some of us more severe than others so she worked um you know a nine to five in the auto industry same as my dad but she definitely was the one raising us chauffeuring us like making sure we had friends and we could you know navigate life emotionally so my dad um you know, he spent most of his time in his office just kind of consumed with his doings and trashy magazines and Bible sermons. And really the only time that he dealt with me or my sister was to give punishment or money, right? Any compliments from him were always, you know, conditional, performance-based. But I remember hearing him talk about me to his friends. He would talk about my grades or athletic performance or something funny that I had done, although he didn't laugh when I did it. And he never came to any of my games. I know my dad came to two of my track games between the sixth and the 12th grade. You know, so that just kind of taught me that I have something that he wanted. I had something that he wanted, something that made him look good, which in turn made him feel good, you know, in front of other people. So, so like, I knew I was good enough to be on his shelf, just not in his life, not in his arms or any of the other benefits that come with an emotionally available father. But I was too young, really, to question what I was missing. I was just forming a personal identity out of what I had. Like daddy was big and strong, but he was not for touching or holding on to, although he would protect you uh, in an emergency. And it's hard. And it's hard to love something that you're afraid of, right? So, uh, you know, making direct eye contact with him or experiencing his hands at all was usually through some type of physical punishment accompanied by yelling or whatever misery his 30-year-old self could come up with on the spot, right? Um, nowadays, my dad is... A fantastic grandfather like I really could not have raised my babies at a young age if it wasn't for him so we will give him that uh, uh, credit right now and you know kind of give people grace for for growing up at the same time that they were raising us but we still got to talk about the impact that it has the lasting impact right that it all has on us um, you know and my dad 
He was very charming. He had this like fantastic laugh. He was the loudest, most engaging guy in the room, even though we knew that there was this other side to him back then. And like a lot of men, um, my dad, uh, you know, his his love language was acts of service. Right. So he still would take us to McDonald's and a toy store, blockbuster video. That was all part of his love. And then he'd come home and say, you know, I'm gonna give you a spanker. Right. Because I heard what happened yesterday. You'd be like, no, (laughs) every now and then, um, you know, he and I would bond randomly over music like he had actual albums and if I was playing and hearing me playing then he'd be like what do you know about this song and we and we would have a good like genuine moment but it was like it was like he could never leave that moment on a high note right it either ended with a task or a chore like all right go clean up your room you know or um you know his mood would just change shortly after the fun so I was always smiling but bracing myself around him like get what you can get now girl because he's in a good mood but we but be ready for chapter two of this story, right? So my first exposure to male love was really through this filter of scarcity and um, rare moments of affection tied to some type of performance on my end. But again, I was too young to even really question what I was missing, but rather I just adapted to what I thought was true about men and their love. Um, I was reading this this book called The Will to Change by amazing author and thinker Bell Hooks. And girl, it wasn't until I got the book that I realized there was a subtitle, Men, Masculinity, and Love. And y'all, the first chapter had me in tears, honey. She basically is talking about how boys and girls are conditioned as children through our patriarchal society that says, um, you know, it's more valuable to be male um, and that stronger people are more valuable than weaker people and therefore they have the right to kind of control them, right? You know, we teach our sons to be these emotional cripples who aren't supposed to cry or show emotions. They're only limited, um, they're only permitted to fight and develop their libido. Um, And we watch this happen to our brothers, our cousins, our male friends. So even as young girls, we are learning how a man should be, right? Like, um, you know, you could have a father who is kind to you as a daughter or a son, but you know he cheats on your mom. You know he has pornography hidden carelessly throughout the house. You you have siblings that belong to other women. All of these things add up to what you unconsciously think love is and who men are. And um, I really like how Bell Hooks said that usually rage and unrelenting disappointment lead men and women to close off that part of themselves that was hoping to be touched and healed by male love. They learn to settle for whatever positive attention men are able to give. They learn to overvalue it. Hello. They learn to pretend that it is love. And I'm like, ah, this broke me down, honey. She says so many of us have felt that the only way to really win male love is by showing that we were willing to bear the pain or we're willing to validate somehow that a real man's love is only manly if it withholds and withdraws. Like that dynamic makes us love men more because they won't love us back. So listen, look, I, I had to put the book down, girl, for like a week, honey. And it's it's funny because, um, I mean, it's funny because when people talk about daddy issues, that's not unique to women because men obviously can have uh, daddy issues as well. I just dated a guy whose father was horrifically abusive. I mean, horrifically abusive. And then as an adult man, he um, was an entrepreneur, but he kept falling victim to these older men who would approach him as mentors, you know, hype him up and then steal his money and destroy his business. And I'm like, honey, that is your your daddy complex, right? You you keep going for these older men who take advantage of you. You need to talk to somebody about that. But 
But reading Bell Hook's book was really um, the first time that I heard of the narcissistic trait of emotional withholding, which is basically keeping love and affection or even like basic care from a person until uh, they do what you want. Or it could mean um, keeping someone in constant pursuit, right? So here I am raised this way for 18 to 20 years. Not only am I attracted to this type of man because uh, something about his energy or his spirit is familiar to my spirit, not right, but familiar so it feels safe and safety is one of our love languages, ladies. And then you remember, what's that song by um, John Mayer called uh, Daughters? It says, fathers be good to your daughters because daughters will love like you do. So now, so now that I know like men are emotional withholders, I also have learned this skill of how to be an emotional withholder, right? Keeping good and bad guys in this constant state of pursuit. So what does withholding look like in a woman? I mean, she could be someone who gets a lot of attention uh, for the way she looks, even though she knows she has more to offer than that. She may be someone who keeps a man in constant pursuit or effortlessly kind of maintains this roster of men who serve different purposes in her life. I know what you want, but I will breadcrumb you just enough so that you keep trying and start picturing how it'd be the most amazing woman in your life, but intentionally never give you the emotional validation that I'm ready to be yours for real, right? Because daddy taught me that I'm good enough for the shelf over your heart and that there are enough benefits to shelf life that I don't have to overcome my fears by jumping into a man's actual heart space. So now that I've come to terms with the fact that I am this emotional withholder in relationships, I kind of know ahead of time that there's a part of me that watched my single married mom uh, raise us. And I really don't, my, this is my issue, it's not yours. I don't see a benefit of having a man in the house. The only thing a man can really do for me that I can't do as well by myself is give sex or money. And so if I'm going into a relationship with these kind of secret barriers to love, dating handsome, charismatic ladies, men who have these good jobs and all of it being sealed together with amazing sex and gorgeous faces makes it feel like the highs are worth the lows, honey. It's hard to break out of that stuff. Okay. Just cause you want to, right? <laughs> Then for other women, like instead of learning how to be just like daddy, some of us learn to provoke anger from daddy just to get some type of attention from him. Right. And then we wonder why adult women stay in bad relationships, reasoning that some love is better than no love at all. Right. Like your version of attracting toxic men is because the standard for how men should behave Um in exchange for your love is never really given in a healthy way. You just think it's your job to fight to keep him once you have him and if he stays, right, you succeed, then that must mean he loves you, right? Because all relationships have problems. You ever heard somebody say that? Like, girl, I just stay with him because you know all relationships have problems. It's too hard out here to find somebody else, so what's the big deal, you know? Um, when really, we don't know anything about all relationships, right? We live our, our lives kind of isolated in that way. Um, I have even talked to men you know, whether it's cousins or my, my baby daddies about their girlfriends or whatever. And they'll be like, you know, um, you know, and, and they might be in a situation where their girlfriends are just constantly starting fights with them. And they only resolve with him constantly validating his love for her. And I'm like, well, that's her, you know, dragging you into her daddy's space, that emotional vacancy where she's supposed to have that one man that she can act a fool with and have a temper tantrum and no matter what she does that man won't leave her right again daddy issues is not just a girl issue even though that's how it's usually discussed you know boys have the same emotional needs for strong fatherly love as girls do but we are all taught that boys shouldn't cry so they don't then they grow up to be these men who need to cry but can't 
the emotional blockage still expresses itself regardless, right? They sex it away, smoke it away, cheat it away, or relationship after relationship it away. And as women, we're just kind of trained to not only compete for these little scraps of love, we make excuses for his emotional temper tantrums like uh, boys will be boys or he's trying his best, but he's just a man. You ever heard somebody say that? I mean, he's just a man. What do you expect? I'd be like, mama, what? You know, that's how them old mamas was trying to get me to stay in my marriage, honey. I said, listen, Linda. But, you know, we raise our sons in this patriarchal society, whether we kind of realize it or not. Um, it's a random thing. I mean, I, I people always tell single mothers that, you know, you can't raise a boy to be a man, but then my daughter is supposed to teach your son how to be a man based on how she allows herself to be treated. You know, it's like make it make sense, you know. Um, as far as our natural instincts go, for example, uh, research shows, this is funny, uh, research shows that regardless of your emotional health, that women tend to be attracted to socially dominant masculine looking men during ovulation and then attracted to maybe less dominant, less masculine looking men um, during their less fertile times of the month. That's hilarious. Um, some have speculated that this attraction pattern evolved as a dual mating strategy in which women kind of want to reproduce with the socially dominant men, uh, presumably who have good genes, like, you know, he's an asshole, but I want my kids to be tall kind of thing. Or um, it says, but they will settle with the commitment oriented types who can be trusted to, to stick around and help raise these kids that may or may not be his. That is hilarious. That makes me laugh so much because I do remember dating a guy in my 20s who I really, really liked him. I mean, I loved his voice. He had a phenomenal job. I was honestly attracted to him, even though I knew he wasn't like this commercial hottie. And even though we were kind of like the same height and I'm four foot 11, so he was like five one. But girl, I definitely remember thinking like, he's cute, but I wonder how our kids are gonna look. And I was worried about having short sons. Girl, that is funny. Is that terrible? Oh my God, apparently not. It's just my instincts. So sorry guys. But anyway, good news is that most dominant man does not mean uh, strongest or best looking, but it does mean confidence and how you carry yourself type of things. So anyway, if we are quietly conditioned to survive toxic withholding love from our family of origin, then when we do find an adult relationship that exhibits those same qualities, it feels familiar, right? So our first exposure to toxic love may be daddy, but it could also be reinforced by the men in our lives, like our brothers, male cousins, uncles, seeing how much these men love us, but mistreat the women in our lives who we also love. That leaves a mark on our hearts and our identity, right? So the first time, uh, you know, we finally meet a boy or a man who is not a relative who has these kind eyes and affection for us is also kind of the first time where we give him everything in exchange right your body your time your love your never-ending support of him no matter what he does and you think you're doing the right thing so you know so if knowing is half the battle then the the good news is that we're getting to the good part which is figuring out what to do next um i have learned through my healing journey and kind of my motherhood experience that, you know, God is not this righteous bully uh, that our hypocritical culture likes to threaten us with, right? They love to threaten the unvirtuous woman with shame and a fiery death, honey. And I am speaking to you as a single mom with three girls by three different dads. You know, there absolutely is a difference between right and wrong in God's eyes. And there are, you know, real life consequences for our actions, but God is not the one 
God is not the one sitting around looking for reasons to send us to hell, right? In fact, it was God who saw that people were struggling so hard with temptation and generational trauma to the point where God knew we wouldn't make it into heaven if we didn't have anything else besides the Bible itself, right? So the story goes that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever will believe in him will live and not die or have everlasting life, okay? So listen, mama, like God did not have to deliver the Messiah through a woman. A single woman who had not yet married. He could have just created Jesus on the mountaintop and been like, boom, here you go. Here go your savior. You know, if you think about it, you know, people love Mary now or the Virgin Mary now for being a good mother to Jesus. But it was God who was with her during her premarital pregnancy when they accused Mary of being a bad woman, just like he's with you and me, mama. Okay, God understands your choices. Um, He sees how you were raised. He knows your strengths and your weaknesses, the things you struggle with. He heard what that man said to you. He heard what that man promised you. Okay, he's near to your heartaches and your questions. And he wants to be you know, the source of your joy. And you can have that joy, honey, without anybody's permission, okay? Uh, So stick with God, stick with the Good Mother, Bad Woman podcast as we drop episodes weekly. You can follow me um, on Instagram or TikTok at Good Mother, Bad Woman. And listen, girl, I'm not above you in the healing process, but I do process my shit. Okay, people are more than one thing, whether they say so or not. So let's get into our feelings, mama. All right, God bless you. (laughs) 